Inner Voice. A heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inner Voice podcast. It's so great to be with you today. I'm Dr. Fujian Zain. I'm a psychotherapist, author, and the originator of the awareness integration theory. Our conversation is about what matters most in our life. Our mind, our thoughts, feelings, actions, relationship, and our fulfillment in this beautiful journey of life. In this episode, I chat with Dr. Shahzad Nouravi. She is a business psychologist, a master certified coach, and the founder and CEO of Strategy Meets Performance, a business consulting firm that partners with leaders of mid-size to Fortune 500 organizations to help them create engaging, innovative, and productive cultures. Dr. Nouravi has been named Trailblazer of the Year citizen of the year and a voice to listen to for driving positive change in her community. Her new leadership book that we're going to be talking today about is A Powerful Culture Starts With You. It was rated at the number one new release in workplace culture and bestseller in business coaching. We're going to chat and talk about how to look at who you are at work um, and how you could create change by working with you and creating the skills of becoming aware of yourself and how to implement those skills into your work. So it's, it's just wonderful. I learned so much from her and I hope you do too. Subscribe to this podcast, please, my YouTube channel and connect with me through my website, fujanzain.com or any of the social media. Get my book, Life Reset, The Awareness Integration Path to the Life You Want and share with me your thoughts, and how it helped your life. I love to hear from you. Here it is, Dr. Shahzad Nouravi. Shahzad Nouravi, it is such a joy to have you. Thank you so much. I'm so pleased to be here. Well, I got your book. I love it. So everyone, a powerful culture starts with you. And I love it that you start first defining uh, what a culture is, because I think when people talk about companies, you know, when you say to culture, people usually think about, um, you know, uh, a cultural heritage or a country's culture, a family's culture. Um, and you define in your book what a company's culture is, which is about the belief systems, the the way that you know top management, uh, their their mission statement, and the way they are and their belief system about their employees, their management system, and, and their customers and the product they offer, and if they're in a service oriented or a different product, and how does that uh, kind of flow? And even if everyone who started a company with all the good reasons through the ups and downs of the company and their growth and all of that, it keeps changing. It's a dynamic that keeps changing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it changes um, to the better and keeps flourishing. And sometimes it goes into um, a mindset of uh, hysteric or uh, you know, not a generous uh, one. It goes into a scarce place. And we've watched these cultures change, you know, like like Wells Fargo. We we watched the culture change from something which was service oriented to very sales oriented, and then even at one point it was we don't even care about what we do to the customers until there was a, 
you know, a penalty and then coming back and redoing. So you, you talk a little bit about how this culture affects all aspects of a company and people who are with it. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Fujian. And you're exactly right. Culture is evolving because the company is evolving. And there are things that are natural evolutions. So when the company is growing from one phase to another, just like humans have the life cycle of infancy, childhood, the awkward teens, and then adulthood when we are in our prime, so do organizations. So a startup is an infant and the owners will do everything to keep this baby alive. And as it slowly moves, toward the childhood phase and you start having regular customers and you have employees who are staying around and then slowly, slowly you get to the adolescence phase and a company can be successful and be around for five, 10, 20 years and stay in that adolescence phase where they still need to define their values. Who are we? Who are we serving? What other products and services can we offer? until an organization gets to its prime. And that's where the large organizations are that start spinning off new organizations, little infant organizations. And that is just a natural evolution of growth that happens where your leadership must evolve with the organization. And in those cases, sometimes an organization that was founded by someone and slowly gets to childhood and adolescence now needs systems and processes. And it's a very natural thing to bring on a president or a chief operating officer who is from a larger firm, who is very good at that. And at the same time, as much as you agree you want those, it's also very common to resist the person that you brought on until you get through that um, evolution of the organization. And so that's just the natural changes that happen. And then there are changes when there's leaders on the executive team that someone might've been a really strong leader who supported culture and they move on and now you have this gap and that impacts the way people are relating to one another. Or you can have a crisis like we had the pandemic and so many leaders who I spoke with over the last two years they had a particular mindset. The ones that were really successful declared, they put it out into the world. We are going to get through this and not just survive, but we are going to thrive. And it's the decision-making and the role modeling and the behaving in times of crisis that are culture building, that tell the rest of the organization who we are and what we stand for and how we will care for our customers. So there's always an opportunity to learn and grow and evolve as a leader, because as you said, companies are always changing. And the reason that I wrote A Powerful Culture Starts With You is over the last 20 years, as I've been giving talks and I've been working with my executive coaching clients on their culture, a lot of times people would say, I, I get the concept of culture. I'm not sure where to start. Tell me what to do. And I thought that is such a honest and smart ask because it is, uh, it is a big concept. And so the reason I wrote the book was to help break it down into steps. You did. Watch it. 
So first you say, watch it. Walk around, ask, seek, explore, take in feedback, clarity and understand, handle your ego, I love it. Inspire a new plan and take charge of growing yourself and your culture. And that's the first, and then we'll go step-by-step. Step. So can you share a bit about uh, the Watch It? Sure. And if it's okay, as I'm speaking about it, I'll just share a screen for when our viewers are looking at this on YouTube, but I will talk through it as well. And Watch It, I thought of it as a way of being really mindful and present and taking the time to look at your culture with a fresh set of eyes. And when I talk about the walk around and seek feedback, make sure you understand it, handle your ego. What the point I'm trying to make is it takes courage to be able to be open, to ask your team for their input and start with what's going well. You know, what are you really proud of about our environment and the way we are doing things? Because a lot of times people say, well, what suggestions do you have? And I always say, hold on, hold on. Let's explore the strengths because those are what will help you work on any new areas. And in the Watch It model, I actually have four checklists that I created. And the, all of these things I'm referring to could be found on a powerfulculture.com. And one of the checklists of the four is the physical space, because a lot of organizations are going back or going back in a hybrid manner and looking at how does it look and feel for employees who are working there? What's the first thing you see when you walk in? Is there a receptionist? How is the receptionist speaking to you as a visitor or a customer or employee? And um, so the physical space checklist helps you look at everything from the snack room and what's there and what behaviors are you observing. The communications checklist number two is looking at what messages are you hearing from your top leaders? Are you clear on what the vision is and the mission? What are the values? The employee experience checklist asks from day one, what was it like when you arrived to your role? Were things set up? Were people introducing you to others? Was it friendly? Um, is there onboarding? Is there coaching from your manager on a regular basis? And then the last one, group dynamics, helps you look at what's happening in your meetings. Who's speaking? Who's not speaking? Are employees who aren't managers encouraged to speak up? Are women encouraged to speak up? Do you notice if there are people from different ethnicities participating and being included and this inclusive environment, is that happening or not? So it's a way that a leader can give this checklist to a few other trusted leaders and say, let's all take a look and come back together in a few weeks and talk about it. That is the way that you can um, and create a new plan is by getting data and being open and then making working on your culture a part of your being because culture is a living organism. It's like any plant. You can't just water it once in a while. You have to be consistent. You have to see how it's doing. And so that was my aim with the watch it model. Beautiful. And I think that the watch it, do you want to take it off for a minute? So um, yeah, sure. 
Um, and I watch it, um, it seems more like the, you're bringing a person that instead of consistently just um, having an assumption and going out of the assumption to actually one, watch themselves and see what's going on with them internally. What are, uh, the, what are the places that they are not looking at? What is, um, let's say, their uh, blind spots? Um, and um, how has the culture changed and they're not aware of it? Um, and maybe they had something in their mind about how it should be, but is it really that or is it something else? And then you're also giving them the tool to go do some reality check by talking uh, to their employee, mm -hmm. by looking at what's going on, by looking at the communication, by looking at the infrastructure that they've all created and is it working or not? So the watch it is more the awareness phase that I'm, uh, that, that you've put in. And then you have drive it, which the drive it section says um, understanding where you are stuck and make a plan to then drive it. So coming out of the stuckness, right? Yeah, so what I think is really important to do in an organization is to create a coaching culture uh -huh. where everyone is able to coach one another, not just manager to employee, but how do you create an environment where employees can coach one another? And the way I created this model is that anyone can use it because most people are not going to go through a coach train, 125 hours of coach training and all of the hours associated after that. However, we are all coaching all the time in our home lives, in our community and our work lives. And so for each of these steps, I have five to seven questions that a person could ask. So whether you're stuck or someone else's, it's a, an opportunity to help determine the challenge because oftentimes we know what's really bothering us. Oh, I'm not having a good relationship with my peer you know, in, in another function. But sometimes we don't exactly know. There might be something that's bothering us in the back of our head. And so the questions with this help bring it to the surface. And the reflect on what making this change would mean to you is an opportunity to dream about having resolved this challenge or achieved this goal. And Dr. Fujan, I'm sure you do this a lot in the work you do with clients is imagine you achieved this goal of starting your business or getting a promotion or just having a great relationship with this person and what would be happening you know and i give the client a chance to just imagine and dream for a moment and people always smile and and it, when we think about something it's almost like we're there and it's so important to imagine that because it builds hope and resilience toward the work. And then I ask them uh, questions around how the person's been looking at it. And I help them invite a new way of looking at it. And then of course, with any new goal we have, we have to get out of our comfort zone. And uh, I share with the person, if this is important enough to you, is it worth it to get out of that comfort zone? And engage support is so important because we all have people who are rooting for us, who want to help us. And we can't get that help unless we ask. And then initiate the first step. Every big goal starts with one teeny tiny step. 
And I think it's very empowering for a person if they feel so overwhelmed to even come up with one step, whether it's scheduling a meeting or looking something up because it helps build momentum and confidence. And the last step, transform your thinking to prepare for challenges is pretty much owning that anytime we're doing something new and different, there's a chance that it's gonna really challenge us, that we may slide back to our old ways. And if we are prepared for the, for the challenge ahead until we create these new ways of being, then it's much easier. So that's the drive it model. Beautiful. Now, then after that, you take them toward the path of walk it, right? So walk to talk, align your senior team, look at your culture, know your plan, integrate values and track everything, which gets everyone to the same um, on the same team and moving the same direction. Um, so it's more like observe and then initiate and then get everybody together to have the a path that they can walk in together and enroll everybody else within the same time. So, every person can do that. One of the uh, beauty of your model is that, you know, some models, um, Dr. Nuravi, it's about uh, only top management, only the executive. Some are for mid-management. What I sense with your book and your coaching model is that anyone from the president of the company to the receptionist uh, who is uh, at the door uh, can go through the steps and bring them together. So I think that's part of the beauty that it's not, uh, it's not limited to one group in the company. It's actually diverse and uh, open. Uh, it's, it has a structure, but it's such an open structure that each person can find themselves and then unite uh, in the walk it uh, uh, segment of it. That was exactly my hope. And I talk about that early on in the book. Of course, I want every manager and every leader to read this book and own the importance of culture. And at the same time, we are all in work cultures. And I was thinking from the person who's just out of school starting in the organization, Shouldn't they have a fresh set of eyes to look at the organization and share their feedback with their manager? Shouldn't they have a way to coach themselves and other colleagues? And shouldn't they know that Walk It is a model that gets the leaders on one page and that there is a methodology to doing this? And the biggest thing that employees want is for their leaders to walk the talk. When a leader says, we need to make sure all of our customers, whether small or large, are treated the same, you want to see that you know, practiced by your leader and not a week later being asked, move your delivery date for your customers because we have a brand new huge customer. That's very disengaging. And it makes a person feel like, wow, I thought we were really going to value all of them, all of our customers, because the ones with the small projects could have bigger projects later. So in the book, I talk about the importance of walking the talk and how people are hungering for that and how to align your senior team and look at the culture, how to create a plan for how you are going to 
communicate the vision, live by the values, be really clear and transparent and include your values and then track everything. So I think this walk, walk it model can be used at the very senior level of an organization and for any team of um, employees working together on projects. Yes, what I, um, as I go through, first of all, everybody know that this is also a workbook. So not only it gives you the concept, but it also allows you to do journaling. It's a workbook where you could take it step at a time through the concept of watch it, drive it, walk it. And um, you can work on yourself and then going to the team. How do you suggest someone who picks up the book in any format that they are, whether they're in the executive letter uh, level, mid-management, um, employee, uh, beginners, let's say, like entry-level employee, uh, what is your suggestion as they take this book and go over it and look at it, then how can they bring it into the team level? Yeah, if I may share something that I want to speak to, because I think this is the crux of this work is how the per how open the person is to seeing that we all have a way of creating change. We all have a way and power within us to speak our voice. And what I'm sharing here is from being wishful to being present. And sometimes a uh, whether it's an employee, a manager, or a member of the executive team could be thinking, well, we've, we've not worked well with our culture in the past, or, you know, how are we going to manage it? Especially like in the beginning of COVID, they may have thought, how are we going to manage this? Um, they're uh, someone who's uh, not anchored in the present is having anxiety about the past and the future. They could be acting impulsively. They would get some information and quickly make decisions without talking to other people. Um, a lot of companies early on laid off a lot of employees and perhaps they could have waited a beat and seen, was that necessary? Um, and from being wishful to being present, sometimes leaders will think the problem is them. It's out there. People don't change. I'm an old dog, I can't learn new tricks. I am who I am. And so I think the biggest key to speaking up in one's organization and driving change, no matter where you are in the organization is openness to being a lifelong learner and curiosity and courage to share your voice. So going from wishful thinking to presence, being in the here and now, being open to reflect. And like you said, Dr. Fujan, my book has questions at the end of every chapter to stop and reflect, zoom in, zoom out, start this, stop that. I wrote a book the way that I would like to read it and I know that um, leaders like it. And, and so there's chances to reflect and think and discover and know, go from the answers are out there to the answers are in here. Go from people don't change to I can change and change is possible. And go from I am who I am to I could evolve at any time. And so my suggestion would be for anyone who is interested in learning about 
company culture and driving change is to be that change, is to do the work, read the book, understand the different parts of an organization and what evolution looks like, and then share your concerns, share your voice and um, be willing to help initiate and drive the change. It's a very important fact. I think that, um, you know, we spend a lot of time at work, um, you know, sometimes eight hours a day, sometimes all to all the way to 14 hours a day. And um, it's the, our biggest family. You know, we come from one family to the next. And sometimes we say, you know, I chose my family, which we don't. We choose parts of our family. The rest of it comes with it. Even if you choose your mates, if, you know, you don't choose everybody in that family. So they all come with it. Um, but it's the same thing Like you go into a company and it's a family that you haven't necessarily chosen every single personality that shows up in that family. So it takes really a skill in how to be in a bigger family. And I know that, for example, people who are in, in uh, family systems with huge families and siblings, sometimes they have an easier way because they've had a lifetime of practice <laughs> how to do this. But for, you know, uh, like people with small family and maybe just one sibling or someone like me who uh, was the only child kind of uh, growing up, um, it's some, it's a shock. Like you don't have that skill. You didn't get to fight and have power struggles with your siblings. And then, you know, having to sit at the dinner table anyway and work through life uh, and had that system kind of like built in you. Um, and then suddenly you go into a company and yes, that's what you got to do. You got to work on projects, handle each other's personality, go through the power struggles, go through the nee, 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 nee's, and then you yet come through and sit together and play win-win and, you know, play fun with each other and enjoy. And I think that's, you know, people don't have those skills. They get kind of like baptized by fire inside, you know, the first or second in, in company that they go in and depending on the culture of that company, they kind of make up their mind, oh, you know, this is the way it should be. And it's a doggy dog world. And I got to just go in and compete and, you know, uh, walk through the, uh, the steps regardless of who's there. And you, you might go into another culture and learn that, oh, it's a cooperative stance and you can do it and it's okay. And so I think that um, your book really helps for a person to see what skills they don't have, what skills they do have. And, um, you know, if they feel like powerless against it or helpless against it, and um, to know that there are things that they could do and which, you know, which steps to take first and where to go and how to create this. And sometimes we go from one company to another thinking that it was just that company. And then sometimes you're like, well, no, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, um, uh, hitting the same issue. Um, as I leave company to company, and maybe I just need to learn the skills of how to be with, you know, a huge family, uh, eight, between eight to 14 hours a day. I love the comparison to family systems. And you're right, it is, it's going from what the group that you grew up with in your home life and the nature and nurture you had and the type of communications that you learned was acceptable and not acceptable in that system. And then you're going into a new family system and 
you may find that one culture is very direct and the way that they are giving each other feedback may feel a little bit shocking to you because I've had clients say they didn't really see their parents arguing or fighting. They didn't have conflict growing up that they saw. And so there's a bit of this that's about how can we be agile in different cultures and environments we find ourselves in. And um, to come from a place of openness that other people grow up, grew up in other ways. And the leaders who formed this organization and have continued to reinforce the behaviors have that particular kind of style. And so part of it is about agility and um, openness to learning different styles and seeing how there are things about your style that are superpowers and they work. And then there may be things that you need to add or do differently. And then there's deciding if a organization's culture matches your values. And if they are role modeling what you think is great leadership, if they are treating people right. And so that's a whole other issue. If um, you observe things and you speak up about it, and if it doesn't change, that's a choice point. Something else that you said, doctor, is sometimes you may think, oh, this organization, I don't like it. I don't like what they're doing. I'm going to go somewhere else. And then you could find yourself in the same situation. And then you leave in the same situation. So there's a part of this that requires us to look in the mirror because we take ourselves wherever we go. And when we find ourselves in the same patterns, whether it's at work or friendships or relationships, hmm, there's something to explore there, right? And so I think it's it's all about our openness to observing this new environment, observing ourselves, wondering why certain things that we are observing bother us, being open to speaking up about it. And like you said, knowing not all families do things the same and what learning might there be in this for you? I was working with some um, a, a woman who um, she was the only child and she kept going into companies and they loved her because her skills were so great. And um, she was a go-getter and, you know, a trailblazer and she came up with new ideas, but she was the only child. That meant she's never grown up with competition in that mm -hmm. Everywhere that she was, it was more like, oh, look at her, look at her. So she kind of just shined on her own and um, she didn't really have to compete. So she goes into corporate world and there's a lot of day-to-day -day competition. And she used to get offended, like, how dare you know do they do that and it was a choice of can you can you either learn the skills or get out of that sort of a competition you're always going to have some competition even if you have clients but i mean if you have your own business but it might be a different and then side by side she married someone who he thrived on competition. If there wasn't competition, he was like, get bored. And he came from a set of family that, you know, he was the only son. They were a couple of sisters and he just, he was the youngest son. So he had to just kind of compete against all of these girls to get what he wanted. And it was funny, the conversation between the two of them and how they were in companies was, it's truly the system of, you come, you get raised in one way or another among people, and then you come to different com companies' culture, 
and you have to operate. And it's not just a task you do, because when we go to a company, we concentrate obviously on the task, but the task is one aspect of it, but the relatedness in this culture that you're consistently with is another way. And that's why you have a lot of, you know, gossip in the conversations because it's a relatedness, you know, people just kind of getting upset. How come the other department is not doing what they're supposed to do? And, and you know, how come, my boss is not favoring me and how come they're upset and your own issues that come up. So I loved it that you opened the, the book with really becoming aware of not only your culture and how you're coming in, your internal culture, let's say, um, and then the external culture of the company that you're with. And if, as, if you're assuming that it should be the same and then you're reacting to it as if it is, you're going to be for a big surprise because every company has a culture, and as we were talking, uh, you you shared that even if you come in a company in its inter in inception, and you're not growing, you know, like you're holding on to that beginning phases, and the company yeah. moving on, then still you're going to be really having hell of a lot of surprises. Yeah, and in the case of your client who wasn't used to the competition and you know, just these normal ways of people speaking up about their own accomplishments and they're trying to also succeed. It reminded me a bit that uh, oftentimes we could have a scarcity mindset or an abundance mindset. And there are people who welcome their competition into meetings together and say, let's all talk. Let's all grow together. We're all facing the same thing. And there are so many clients waiting for all of us. And, and then there's a scarcity mindset where there's only few clients and it's mere them, mere them. And so I think part of this work is also about seeing the world in a broader way and um, working on the messages we get from our ego that tell us otherwise, that tell us we're not good enough or there's only so many clients or it's them, it's not me, I did nothing wrong. So I'm sure you do much more of the work around ego than an organizational psychologist does, but it is a part of what gets people stuck. There's this assumption that a person like that can have that that behavior looks competitive and it's unacceptable. And really the question is, is it really and what about it feels bad to you? And how do we reframe that? How do we see this as a positive? How do you build relationships with those people that you're thinking are competitors? And then you get to know them and you think, oh, they're pretty nice. Oh, we built something together. You know, so it's that openness to exploring that I think is so key to this work. Yes. Dr. Shahzad Nuravi, everyone, her book is wonderful. Get it. A powerful culture starts with you. If you work, you need this book. If you're at an age that you work or you're getting to an age you're going to work, guess what? This works for you. Um, Dr. Nuravi, in one minute or so, is there anything we haven't touched upon that you really want everybody to know? I think we've touched on so much and that speaking up, learning, growing, being the change you want to see is how you can create an amazing workplace. 
and everyone has the opportunity to do it regardless of where you are in the organization. And how can they find you? Uh, you can find me at apowerfulculture.com. And my email address is Sharzad, S-H-A-H-R-Z-A-D, at strategymeetsperformance.com. Um, so everyone, find the book, Amazon, everywhere. A Powerful Culture Starts With You by Dr. Sharzad Noravi. Thank you so much for taking the time and being with me. I appreciate your time. I really enjoy your podcast and hope to see you soon. Absolutely. And for all of you who are out there, create an amazing life for yourself and everyone around you. Bye-bye.